I'm Anthony Bachman from All Things Good and Nerdy, a geeky podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the Official Gunna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. Good evening, friends. We've also got the wonderful, the super amazing, you say to yourself, how am I so lucky to be listening to a podcast starring Stargate Pioneer? Thank you. Thank you very much. And I might add that I mowed the lawn today and it is going to have a blizzard here in two days. So mow the lawn, blizzard, probably mow the lawn again. It is springtime where I live. By the way, was that a better intro than last week? Because as I was editing, I started to feel really bad for how much I downplayed your amazingness after talking about how amazing Chris was last week. I know. I was listening back to it going, you you were really, really, really underselling. I know. Who I was, what I bring to the show, and everything like that. The important thing is Stephen last week realized he owed me money. That's why it was so nice last week. <laughs> Since we have settled up, we're back to just the traditional introductions. Absolutely. Uh, hey, we're here with another episode of the official Gonna Geek Show. We talk about geeky things and other random musings. Uh, we take a little side quest here and there. And I wanted to just quickly mention, by the way, that somehow... We did an uglier closing ceremonies Olympics uniform than the U.S. managed to do because like the U.S. closing ceremonies uh, outfit was was questionable, but Canada sure came in and out uglied you. So I just wanted to go and get the recognition right now. Ours are terrible. I think this is what you can expect with a leaderless cannabis infused nation like Canada is. Look, you guys need Queen Megan. Far, far more <laughs> than the UK needs Meghan Markle. So I think Meghan comes in, she solves this issue for you. And next Olympics, you guys are riding high. You guys might even win the next Olympics underneath Queen Meghan. Well, first off, I'm not going to comment on anybody winning Olympics at all, because let's see if they happen. Uh, secondly, I, I think that um, we do need somebody better in charge of whoever designed those uniforms. I, I don't even want to call them uniform. It's like somebody went down and was like, hey, Salvation Army, what do you got on your racks? Oh, you got a bunch of jean jackets and jeans from the 90s? All right, we so can work with that. Yeah, so Stephen, let me ask you this. Did you see the first season of Space Force on Netflix? I did, yes. Yes. Yeah, so did you see all the alternative uniforms that they were going through? Yes, and they were all better than what we settled for our closing ceremony uh, uniforms. These are great. I love these. These are the, you could leave the closing ceremonies and then just go backpacking through Europe or, you know, slumming yeah. a ride back to Canada or whatever. This is this is awesome. I, I have to say, you know, I don't know why they chose them, because whenever this comes up on a Canadian social media, like website news source or whatever. It does seem like the majority of Canadians are in the same camp as me and hate them. So I, I don't really know what they were going for here. There are a few people that do try to defend it, but um, yeah, I mean, it's all give them a little bit of credit and at least say it's something different versus what Team USA <laughs> has done for the last 20 years, which is where preppy D bag looking stuff you get at Abercrombie and Fitch. So <laughs> the USA uniforms look like you have to leave. You have to leave the closing ceremonies and go to the yachting club and get on your <laughs> right. sailboat and go home that way. That's what they look like. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you want to terrible. check these out, we'll put some links in the notes over at gunnageek.com or come to our discord server at gunnageek.com slash discord. And we would love to chat more about this. And yeah, I won't even try to defend them. Usually I sit there and whether, whether I actually agree with what Chris and SP are saying or not, I usually take the side of, Canada, but not in this case. It's not happening. They're terrible. 
It's indefensible how <laughs> ridiculous it is. And full credit to John Oliver on last week tonight. I think he did the best takedown piece I've seen on both sets of uniforms, calling them both ridiculous. So at least we will be a mockery in the world together. <laughs> like the Good We're Geek number Show. Two. We're <laughs> number two. We're number two. <laughs> All right, let's start off with something that's really actually exciting. This is something that I have been waiting to talk about with everybody else on this show, because if you looked at, you know, about 030 Dark, my time, or, you know, 330, uh, their time, you you might have seen that I finally flew. Right, SP? Absolutely. Steven, do you want to do this news story? Your firsthand account? I think we need a little bit of behind the scenes at NASA JPL here. Yeah. So NASA's Ingenuity helicopter lifted off on the red planet early this morning. How am I doing? Am I doing okay? Oh, you're doing... I, I want to hear the rest of this, <laughs> but I, to save our listeners, I am going to take over here. So yes, today... April 19th, 2021, NASA's Ingenuity helicopter lifted off of the Martian surface and performed the first ever powered and sustained flight on a world beyond Earth. The four pound, and for Canada's here, uh, 1.8 kilograms, the four pound chopper, get to the chopper, we'll talk about that later, rose from the floor of the Martian Jezero crater at 3.34 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Today, achieved its maximum planned altitude of about 10 feet or 3 meters for you in Canada and touched down on Mars after 39.1 seconds aloft. The rover Perseverance monitored, or Percy as we call her, Percy monitored the flight from 211 feet away or 64 meters away and returned a set of images showing ingenuity in flight. There was also a video that was later posted. Perseverance monitored the flight and at about 6.15 a.m. or 10.15 GMT, data came down from ingenuity via its much larger partner, which would be Percy. Ingenuity, quote, and this is from Chief Pilot Havard Grip. He said, quote, Ingenuity has performed its first flight, the first flight of a powered aircraft on another planet, unquote. This was as he confirmed telemetry at NASA's JPL or Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. So they didn't have any images when this came across. This was literally the telemetry that said liftoff, sustained flight, altitude, came back down, touchdown. That was what he was reading off. If you take a look at the video. And so that is what he said after that. Now, now we've had our first flight of a aircraft on another planet, which had part of the Wright Brothers flyer on board. It will not be stationary. We're going to get more, as we talked about before on the Goody Geek Show. Ingenuity will fly again, if all goes according to plan, up to four more times, in fact, during its month-long window of operations. The helicopter will likely go slightly higher and farther on flights two and three, getting up to about 16.5 feet in the air or five meters off the ground and moving at a maximum of 165 feet or 50 meters downrange. That was said in a news conference earlier this month as they were getting ready to fly. Now, if Ingenuity aces those next two flights, sorties four and five could be, quote, really adventurous, unquote. Okay, guys, uh, this is my take on it really quick. It is a monumental achievement. This is on the level of Neil Armstrong landing on the moon and setting foot on the moon. This is that big of a deal, especially since part of the Wright Brothers uh, aircraft was attached to it. It wasn't like structural or anything. It was just attached to it. But guys, I, I'm also really sad now. I, I didn't realize that I would be this sad, but I got said about five minutes after hooping and hollering at work and everybody was like what the heck happened sb like we flew on mars and then about five minutes later i was like oh the martian is no longer accurate because 
there's no flying drones around Mark Watney in the film. But you don't know that, though, because like he was just in one little area and the big deal was he had to go to a whole other area to, to get all of these these little pieces that he could salvage. There was it, it wasn't like he had the whole whole Mars space that he could go to. So we don't know. Maybe, maybe this ends up going to some other area that was nowhere near Mark Watney. Let me ask you this, Stephen. If you're going someplace, are you going to take your Mavic 2 with you? Of course. Yeah. So if Mark Watney is a drone pilot and he goes to Mars, he's going to take his drone with him. So he's going to have it there with him. That's true. That's true. There was no no drones flying around. No cute CGI (laughs) of drones going, taking pictures and stuff for, you know, the the media back home or anything like that. I'm sad. Chris, you have been silent this whole time. What do you think? I mean... It made the Martian be inaccurate, but it could be sort of accurate because I heard that the, the drone may not last very long because I was talking to Suncast before the show. And he said if it flies over his backyard, he's shooting it down. So it might not be there much longer, which could then make it accurate again because drones get shot down by Suncast. Yeah, that, that, that is the concern that I have as well is Suncast doing things to space objects. Uh, Look, I know he yeah. has defiled them on more than one occasion. He already said in the chat room it caught him with his pants down again. <laughs> I don't know what that means, and I'm kind of concerned. But that's what he said in the chat room. So I'm assuming he might have been sunbathing or out there uh, taking a little dust swim, for lack of a better term. I don't know. <laughs> so, Suncast do what Suncast do. <laughs> so, Stephen, I, I know that you have this really tight relationship with the Ingenuity chief mm-hmm. pilot, Havard Grip. So... I just want to know, how were you guys communicating during this whole process? And uh, how was it when he said, Stephen, you've got the stick? Uh, first off, I would just like to state that, um, yeah, him and I were, were close buddies. And then secondly, I would like to state that, no, that's not true. And putting the gag aside, I would actually like to congratulate him for this first flight because, uh, you know, obviously I've been joking all this time that I wanted to be the one that would crash it and it was just a fun little thing I was playing up. But I do agree with SP that this is a huge monumental moment. And I think one of the reasons why it has not been so monumental is because for many of us who have been interested in space, we've had something on Mars for all for a good portion of our lifetime, right? And so we've just taken for granted here what this is doing. This is a whole new level. Like when, when they first got a rover successfully on Mars. I'm sure that had huge amount of feeling behind it. Wow, you have another object you're controlling on another planet? What? And and because like I've grown up with a good portion of my life having having regular rovers on Mars, at first it was a little bit like okay, cool, it's another object on there. But then you realize, no, this is this is not wheels on the ground. This is a whole other form of transportation that we are doing on another planet remotely. It's crazy. And, and I do agree with you. I think that it is, it is a monumental moment that um, is a whole new chapter in putting junk on other planets. And uh, everybody who was legitimately involved do deserve a uh, bravo. Congratulations. And by junk, you weren't you weren't being degrading. You were you were saying we're we're yes. sending technology to another body in the heavens, and we're able to control it. Yes. Now we didn't control it real time. The thing no. has AI up the wazoo, and it's able to fly itself. But we send the commands on what it's supposed to do during its flight, and it figures out how it's going to do it. And I, this was just uh, uh, like I said, I, I'm floored. I'm a drone pilot. Steven's a drone pilot. We've flown drones, so I mean, there's that aspect of it but this was a controlled sustained flight this is something that humanity didn't do until 1903 and then we go to mars and within just a few decades we're flying on mars so this is going to really enhance exploration this is going to enhance a whole bunch of stuff not only on mars but if we're able to do this on mars we can also send submarines to those Jovian moons that have oceans underneath ices and stuff like that this is opening up a whole new realm of exploration in space that's robotic that does not put humans at risk. And it's not just humans at risk doing the exploration boots on the ground. It is the space radiation that they're going to have to uh, in a, in encumber on the trip there, 
while mm-hmm. they're there. It is uh, just the fact that you're in a pressurized container with no air outside. So, you know, you lose air, you die, that sort of thing. There's just a ton of things that can go wrong in space. And if we can send robots to do better jobs than we have been in the past, we're just going to be able to figure out how we can utilize the solar system a little bit better. So this goes far beyond even just flying on another planet. This is, we've been able to do this. And another thing that, I was thinking of was Osiris Rex, right? Where we went into Bennu and did the asteroid recently. And it's Osiris Rex is just going around the asteroid for the last time before it comes back home and and brings back the samples of that asteroid. So that was robotic exploration, but it wasn't like sustained. We couldn't control it. It it was just like a hit and run sort of thing. This is sustained. This is a pathfinder for the technology to be used in the future. Now, remember, Mars atmosphere only has 1% of Earth's atmosphere. The gravity is a little bit less, but it's not like flying. You never get like a 747 on Mars. It's just the way things go. So it's going to be a different type of flight on Mars. I I just, I'm all for it. And Chris, you dug up an interesting tweet for all this too. I did. (laughs) From, From Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I haven't. Watched it recently. I watched it earlier. I didn't dig it up, so this blind toss is not very effective. <laughs> it was. It, I think it was Suncast brought it up. Actually. It was Suncast so, that Sun- did bring it up. So, if you didn't know this, if you've been a while since you've listened to the show, we do have a regular reappearance from a good friend of ours named Suncast. He does come on the show on occasion, and uh, he does involve himself in a lot of the space conversation. And he did find a tweet that Arnold put out yesterday, uh, and. It was um, the infamous get to the chopper line. It was fantastic. I'm not even going to do the impression, but it was about this moment. And uh, it was great, Arnie. Way to go, Arnie. Um, Cyber game strong right now. Everybody was getting into it. it. It was great. So congratulations to JPL. Congratulations to NASA. I have one more thing to say. Uh, also, credit where credit's due. Suncast brought up the point that the video and the pictures and stuff that came out look like somebody uh, that maybe did Photoshop, to which I must say, he's right. And it's a fake! That's a DS9 quote, by the way. Did you have that queued up and ready to go <laughs> in the did. chat room? I did. Time. For those of you that didn't know this, we do have a live <laughs> chat room on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time when we do stream this live. And I put the gif of uh, from DS9 of it's a fake. But moving on to the next news point here, let's talk about xCloud beta. What's going on with that there? Well, Steven, you're a resident cloud gaming expert here, so I'm just going to defer and let you read the story. All right. So (laughs) the inferior product uh, called xCloud, inferior referring to compared to uh, Stadia, the inferior product xCloud has been in the pipeline to try and get the service on other devices. In a press release today from Catherine Gluckstein, Vice President and Head of Product, Project xCloud. Start, you go ahead, continue, Chris. <laughs> okay, so uh, Stephen, like you did bring up, we are going to be talking about the, uh, the uh, game streaming beta for uh, Xbox. We have talked previously in the past about the game streaming beta that has been on Android devices that is now part of the Game Pass service that allows you to play a variety of Xbox games on your Android device with a paired controller, or in some cases, with touchscreen controls. What we had known is that Microsoft was doing testing internally and planning to roll out the capability to play Xbox games via other methods, because we've talked before about how the uh, iOS App Store kind of came in and put the kibosh on them being able to put game streaming within the Game Pass app because they said that each game would have to go to the app store for review and everyone went, well, that's insane. So they kind of found their way around this. And uh, like Stephen mentioned, in a press release that was came out this morning about 7 a.m. Eastern time, Catherine Gluckstein, the vice president and head of product of head of product for Project xCloud said, starting tomorrow, so that'll be on 420, 2021, we'll be sending out invites to select Xbox Game Pass Ultimate members start testing the Xbox Cloud Gaming Limited Beta for Windows 10 PCs and Apple phones and tablets via web browsers. We're launching xbox.com slash play, where invitees can play over 100 different Xbox Game Pass titles through Edge, Google Chrome, or Safari browsers. Offering cloud gaming through the browser and having a simplified universal landing page 
presents a great opportunity to make cloud gaming approachable to more players in more places over time. A brief aside, they're doing this because they can't get an app approved like we talked about for iOS. Uh, They continue in the announcement and say, those who receive an invite just need a compatible Bluetooth or USB connected controller, or in some cases can use custom touch controls for more than 50 games to start playing and testing. In the early stages of the beta, we'll be focusing on fine-tuning features and creating a consistent experience across platforms while making sure your games are running the best. So in essence, what this is coming down to, guys, if you have a supported web browser, you can now access Xbox Cloud Gaming without having to use an app like we've seen on the Android devices out there. This opens up Xbox Cloud Gaming to a ton of new devices. Obviously, it's opened up all iOS phones, all iOS tablets. It's opened up laptops. It's opened up Chromebooks in this case because they'd also be using a Google Chrome browser. So pretty much most of your modern computing devices will now have the ability to stream these games. Now we need to temper our expectations right now. This is still a beta. So when this goes live tomorrow, don't expect you're going to go up there and be able to play a bunch of these things seamlessly with no problems. It's a beta. They haven't officially released it yet. But it is a sign of where they're going with this, realizing that Xbox and Microsoft can do gaming as a service, as we've seen with their Game Pass tool. And you don't necessarily have to rely on the hardware being in a person's house, bandwidth notwithstanding, and they'll be able to play these games. And this opens up millions of new devices. And I am really hoping I'm one of those ones that gets an invite tomorrow because I have an iPad, an iPad Pro, one of the 11-inch ones, which I think would be great for playing games on. I also have a MacBook Air I'd love to try it on. And I would also like to do this, which I'm not sure if they'll have caught yet or not, but I want to sideload a browser onto my NVIDIA Shield because you can get Firefox, you can get Google Chrome, you can sideload them on there. And I want to go and bring up that website, xbox.com slash play on the sideloaded browser and see if I can launch games through that. There are people that have sideloaded the Game Pass app onto uh, Android TV devices with mixed success. But I imagine it would be easier if you're just bringing up a website and launching something and playing that way. I'm curious to see what this could mean. It could also mean that if you have an Android TV device of some kind, you basically have an Xbox gaming possibility now by going to this website. I'm really excited, cautiously optimistic to see where they go. We've talked about cloud gaming services on here before. I've talked about Stadia, where it was a mixed bag, but when they get things right, it works really well. But what I've seen on Microsoft's service so far for Project xCloud, as it used to be called, I think it's very promising. And Microsoft's been working this for years, and I'm really curious to see where they go with it. I'm really curious to see what this means, say, five or six years from now, as we start talking next-gen consoles again, whether Microsoft just says, nah, man, you just buy a dongle, and all that hardware that would go out to the console sales is going in the data center. And for 15 bucks a month, you continue playing and basically renting our hardware. It's what we've seen Google try and do with Stadia. We've seen Amazon do it with, I think, Project Luna is what they're calling it. But I think Microsoft's pulled it off the best so far. And admittedly, I have an Xbox. I could be called an Xbox fanboy. Maybe I'm a little biased there, but they seemingly have the best results so far with the biggest back catalog. Yeah, this is this is huge if it can be reliable because like I don't have the latest Xbox. Like, I don't have any of the uh, Series X series. Uh, I don't have any any of them. Uh, but I, I do have a fairly, like, a very modern computer. Like, it's an AMD Ryzen 9 3900 XT, 64 gigs of, of RAM, half-decent video card. I have fiber. Like, I, I have a good formula to be able to keep up with whatever is needed here. And because it's on the cloud, it's probably going to use a little portion of that. And you get a a plug-in Xbox controller for like 20 bucks USB to your computer. Okay, yeah, sure, it plugs in, but you're right next to your computer. Uh, I I tried it a little bit with the app that connected to the console. It was okay. It it wasn't the best experience um, just because you could tell the app at the time was a little dated compared to where the technology should be and things like that. But this is all modern and... This is this is huge if it is able to keep latency low and things like that. Now, again, there's only going to be a, a percentage of people who at the moment have the capability to do that, because I think computer wise, you're not going to need need that much since all the processing is happening in the cloud. But where you might run into problems 
is if your computer is is so weak that when you have anything else going, like you know your even your antivirus or whatever it is, um, or or you know an update starts in the background, it bogs down your computer. That then that hits your hardware, like your network and whatnot, and now you got the latency introduced. So like if people are are day to day on the on the edge of what their computer could do, I could see this being not a great experience for them. But internet connections, they're, you know, they're getting higher and higher upload speeds and more and more reliable connection to a lot of places across Canada and the States and elsewhere in the world. So uh, I am really excited. And I also hope I am one of the beta people on here, but I probably am not because at some point I was invited to something that they told that I could beta, but I never signed up. So they probably put me on the no beta list. Well, in some background on how they're keeping latency low right now, I don't remember if I talked about it in the original review, but pretty much everything is capped at 720p, which when we're talking about playing on a cell phone or a tablet, not necessarily as problematic for those that want to try and sideload a browser and play on a uh, Android TV device. You'll probably notice it there because you're capped at 720p and you're probably playing on your 4K screen, so things may look a little, uh, a little strange. But I think Microsoft has said their plans are to eventually step that up and replace the hardware in the data center because I believe the hardware that you play these Xboxes on is the Xbox One S uh, devices. And once they have, you know, chips they can buy and things like that, the talk was they'd be replacing all those with the Xbox Series X in the data centers and then could potentially begin exploring sending a more robust stream back to you. But if it's only a 720p stream, it'll be interesting because you don't have the same problem you do with Stadia where you potentially use like 40 gigs of data playing an hour. So are they using physical consoles for this? Effectively, they took the guts out of a bunch of consoles, and that's what's in the data center stood up to do this. That's hooked into all of their servers and stuff like that. So like when you launch a game on the game streaming service, you basically are launching an Xbox in their data center that has the game on it. That's the digital a, version of it is my understanding. I would have thought for sure there'd be like some form of emulation that they made. That's crazy. Well, I think they have to do it that way because or it's easier to do it that way because when you launch older Xbox games that are on there now, that's being emulated on that Microsoft hardware. Okay. So it's probably not necessarily designed to run through uh, run emulation, then emulate something else within the emulation to run an older game. So I think that might be their justification for why they're using Xbox hardware in their data centers to do it. Probably also makes it hard, easier for them rather to make their games work on the cloud based service because you don't have to do anything different. It's basically if it's an Xbox game, it plays versus, say, porting something to Google Stadia or Amazon Luna. There's different kinds of things that have to be done to port the game to run on that service. I game so infrequently, I wouldn't call myself an expert by any means. But just looking at this, it appears to me like Xbox, Microsoft really wants to leverage the success that has been with the Nintendo Switch, where you have this handheld gaming platform that you can have wherever, but then yet you can plug it into your TV when you're home and you can play it there. So you could play it just about anywhere, basically. And Xbox with Microsoft, you traditionally have been confined to the TV that your Xbox has been on. So it limited the clientele or the customers that they could expand into. So I'm really encouraged at all of these things. I mean, we've seen different levels of using uh, the internet or your local Wi-Fi to enable gaming on different platforms, different screens in your own home. I, I think we're just going to see more and more of this. I know I was kind of like, oh, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, they said, I'll be really sad when the consoles go away because I grew up with them. But in, in retrospect, in thinking about it, this is just going to be the way of the future. If I have a pocket computer in my on my person everywhere but work that is more advanced than anything I had growing up, why not leverage that sort of technology for some sort of gaming and just make it more accessible? I mean, you could take your controller on the subway in New York or Washington, D.C. or whatever, and there'd be a little screen that you could rent to play or you could go onto an airplane that has internet connectivity and you can use your play your game there or whatever. I think that's where we're going to go. And I think it's just going to be great for, for gamers all around. And we'll see what happens with the hardware because I still think we'll need advanced hardware to do the next step of gaming, which is the, you know, the virtual reality and that sort of thing. 
But yeah, we'll see how this goes. I'm excited to see how this takes hold. So you remember the hotels in the like 90s and early 2000s where yeah. you'd go in there and they'd have like an N64 controller that was plugged into the back of the TV that allowed you to play N64 games. That's yep. basically what Microsoft looked at went, huh, we can do this and use your phone <laughs> as that controller. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> well, let's go ahead and move on from one piece of gaming news to another. Um, I know since X, uh, Chris is the big Xbox fanboy, um, I would cover the other fanboy that he is arguably the bigger fanboy which is sony uh i don't know if you know this but sony has announced that they will no longer be shutting down the ps3 and vita stores last month sony did announce that the playstation 3 and psp stores would be taken down on july 2nd also in addition to that they said that as of august 27th they would be ending the PS Vita marketplace. Now, Sony has apparently changed their tune as they have backpedaled and are only going to be retiring the PSP store on July 2nd. Quote, upon further reflection, however, it's clear that we made the wrong decision here, end quote, said PlayStation boss Jim Ryan in a blog post on the company's decision to shut down these stores. He went on to say that, quote, we see now that many of you are incredibly passionate about being able to continue purchasing classic games on PlayStation 3 and PS Vita for the foreseeable future. So that's the big change that they've had here as far as what stores they're going to be getting rid of. Uh, Chris Farrell, I know you owned all of these devices. And so I wanted to ask you, were you heartbroken when they said you were not going to be able to buy anything on the PlayStation 3 anymore? Were you sad? So in my case, no, I don't have my PlayStation 3 anymore. And most PlayStation 3s aren't playable on a PS4 because they completely changed the architecture. You can do some of it via cloud emulation. But there are a lot of people that were legitimately upset by this because it goes to the difference in how Sony and Microsoft, for instance, are handling backwards compatibility, which is Microsoft had that whole backwards compatibility team that's gone through and taken hundreds of Xbox 360 and original games and made them run on new hardware. Sony hadn't necessarily done that, but if you had your old PlayStation hardware, you'd be able to buy things and continue to play them. And there were a lot of folks that like to play retro games, and I can't believe we're calling PS3 games at this point retro, but I guess technically they are, that were legitimately upset because it was, oh my God, I won't have the ability to buy these games anymore. And some of these games are not easy to find in physical copies, so digital was the best way to do it. So there were tons of videos out on YouTube in the last week from a lot of people in the gaming community of, hey, here's the must-have PS3 games that you should make sure you buy before the store shuts down, things like that. So they got a bunch of clicks, and there were a bunch of people talking about those videos out there being like, I don't understand why this is going on. So I get why Sony reversed course. I don't know how long Sony's going to reverse course for. Hopefully it's for a long, indefinite period of time because it sort of makes sense that if you've built this service that allows you to be able to buy games, you'd like to be able to go back and get them. If, say, your PS3 hardware fails, you buy a new one. Well, if the store is down, you can't download the things you own again. That's problematic. I, I get it. And I'm happy to see this happen because it keeps backwards compatibility being a feature out there for folks so that old games can continue to be played. Does this mean that Sony's bringing back PlayStation View? I don't think they're doing that, but I think they're leaving the assets in place so that you can purchase those old games. Pretty much the marketplace is staying in place. So I guess that was a poor statement on my part. Uh, I want Sony to bring back PlayStation View. It, it was a neat streaming service. So, yeah, you, you know, should have it. Do you own a PlayStation? I actually own two PlayStation 3s and a PlayStation 4. So why don't you go look at it? If, if you, all you want to do is view a PlayStation. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll be right back then. All right. Sounds good. I mean, arguably, PS View was one of the better streaming cable replacement services out there. And there are a lot of folks that sorely miss it to this day. It's just, it had like typical we see with Sony and some things, naming problems, which is you call it PlayStation View. A lot of people think you could only run it on a PlayStation, which wasn't the case. So there was confusion, which did not help it. But it was a very good service. And when I started doing my research to cut the cable, it was in my final three at one point in time until it was, hey, we're shutting this service down in X months. And I went, well, you're off the list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go on to the next news point here, which is about a lunar lander. And this time, I think we're getting past the CGI. 
That's right. So on Friday, this was actually a surprise for me because I knew it was coming, but I just didn't know when it was coming. NASA had this whole competition for a human landing system or HLS going on, and they delayed the selection process or the selection announcement. And we just didn't know when it was going to happen. I postured that it might be because NASA didn't know what kind of their budget was going to be. So they didn't know if they were going to be able to let out the contract this year or next year, whenever it was supposed to be due. Well, on Friday, on April 16th, 2021, NASA announced that SpaceX's Starship beat the other two competitors, which were Blue Origin and Dynetics, to win the $2.89 billion, that is billion with a B, human landing system contract to build the Artemis Lunar Lander. In a source selection statement, NASA said that SpaceX's price was lower than the other two teams by a wide margin. SpaceX received a technical rating of acceptable and management rating of outstanding compared to a technical rating of acceptable and a management rating of very good for Blue Origin and marginal and very good ratings for Dynetics. Blue Origin's price was significantly higher than SpaceX and Dynetics was significantly higher than Blue Origin. So the source selection authority for the human landing system was Kathy Luters. We've talked about her before. She's the head of human spaceflight at NASA, stated that while Blue Origin's proposal has merit, she did not select it for a second option A award because I find that its proposal does not present sufficient value to the government. and. Because of the limited funding after selecting SpaceX for one award, quote, I do not have enough funding available to even attempt to negotiate a price from Blue Origin that could possibly enable a contract award, unquote. Luders stated that Dynetics' proposal is overall of limited merit and is only somewhat in alignment with the objectives as set forth in this selation. Ooh, sick burn there. (laughs) The award option will support development of the Starship Lunar Lander and include at least one on-crewed test flight to land on the lunar surface before NASA proceeds with a crewed mission. After the crewed demonstration mission, NASA will procure landing services through a separate contract, which will be a full and open competition, allowing other human landing system competitors and perhaps other companies to compete with SpaceX. However, all the information that I've seen goes to point that unless they fund the trips, the uh, technical uh, demonstration trips themselves, they will not be in a position where they would be competitive, either in price or experience. So I'm not saying that this is going to be a one trick pony here with SpaceX and Starship, but it's looking like Starship is uh, leading the pack by far of being able to land human beings on other bodies like the moon and Mars. So yeah, this was interesting. This was a surprise announcement for me. And it was interesting that SpaceX won the proposal. And I don't know if you guys watched the Blue Origin 15th test flight that they had with New Shepard last week or not. During that countdown hold, they went into this whole spiel about their lunar landing system. They felt really confident Mm. that they were going to move ahead with their lunar lander. And just a couple of days later to be told, no, I'm expecting a legal challenge by Amazon slash Jeff Bezos slash Blue Origin as we go forward here and we'll see. But SpaceX, they've got a lot going right. I have some more comments on SpaceX before we leave this topic, but I want to turn it over to you guys. So, Chris, what do you think about the selection here? Well, I know that Suncast was really hoping that Blue Origin was going to get it so he could get his prime delivery at the secret NASA base on Mars. <laughs> so I know he's really bummed out right now because he could have had like two day delivery on anything he wanted. They were promising it. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they said, if we have it, we're going to make it happen. That's not how that works. And don't ask me to explain how they're trying to get people you know, to select their project. And they're making promises all over. I'll have you know that you guys are both kind, kind of right here. SP is doubting what Chris said. And I got to say, Chris isn't entirely right, because what it was, was in usual Amazon fashion, they said, yes, it's available for two days. But this default prime shipping was actually a week. Uh, uh, Suncast has to pay just an extra $6.99 to get it in the two days. So he just had to pay the extra $6.99 fee to get it in two days. 
We're going to have to have a conversation <laughs> off air about orbital mechanics and hormone transfers and the position of Earth and Mars around the sun later, guys. But yeah, it's, it's not our fault. They're promising things that aren't scientifically viable. That's just what they promised in the fine print. So Suncast was real excited for it. You know what? Uh, un- infeasibility has never stopped Amazon before. OK, so <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is very true. That's very true. I do and, have a serious note on this, though. OK, yeah, so okay. I, I have a serious note on this. And. When I look at this, to me, it seems to make a lot of sense. And and I I thought that the Blue Origin test flight was good. It was a success. And I think if you go when you look at some of the Blue Origin test flights and, and the sheer number they've done compared to the number SpaceX has done and, and the amount of explosions that SpaceX has had versus the Blue Origin, you might see... You might at first think, wow, Blue Origin's got a really great track record kind of for what they've been doing. But here's the thing. They are at a snail's pace compared to SpaceX, right? Like SpaceX, sure, they have been failing fast, but it has moved them ahead so fast. And here's the thing. When you look at what NASA is doing, I think there is a real fire lit for them to lock this in because here's the bottom line is in the current state, and and I'm, I'm saying this about the US, but Canada's the same way. There's a lot of money that's being handed out that's going to probably lead right now to cutbacks elsewhere in different funding. This hype, this is probably going to hit NASA at some point because there has been all of this, this funding that's been given, um, this, all this relief effort that's been given by the government that eventually, again, there's going to have to have to be funded somehow. And so I think NASA is in their best interest to try to get this moved along before someone comes in and says, sorry, you've lost your budget. So if you're looking at someone crawling at a snail's pace and you're looking at someone who has has failed fast, has pr- eventually gotten to the target um, delivery faster, I, I think you want to try to lock them in and, and, lo- and have the higher odds that it's going to happen faster. So that's kind of where I think they're at with this. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I mean, let, let's be honest here. I was not shocked, at least when I heard that it was SpaceX that won, because what is it you hear about most when it comes to space travel and things like that right now? It's SpaceX. And I think we've brought it up on here before, which is Elon Musk's team that handles press and PR for SpaceX is just smoking whatever Blue Origin's doing because we never really hear as much buzz or have near as many live streams, it seems like, on YouTube of people geeking out over a Blue Origin launch compared to the three SpaceX launches you might have had since the last Blue Origin one. So I don't think it shocks anyone. I think it goes back to what you're talking about, Stephen, which is they're just leaps and bounds ahead of the competition right now. So not shocked. And I'm curious to see where it goes. And it reminds me of being a space nerd, Chris, in the early 90s, being always excited about shuttle launches and stuff like that. And what's going to happen next? Now, I actually understand it a little bit better. and I'm still just as excited. <laughs> yeah, to be clear, this contract was to bring humans from the gateway station that will be orbiting the moon down to the lunar surface. So this won't be launching humans into space. That will go to the SLS and the Artemis system and the Orion space capsule. They okay. will the the humans will then be transferred to the gateway station or maybe meet with the S or HLS in orbit around the moon and then go down and then mm-hmm. come back up using that system. So that is the system that NASA is buying, not the the launch system. But if you take a look at SLS versus SpaceX, uh, there is no reusability at all with the Artemis system. The Artemis system to me will be another Apollo program where you have a limited run of the rockets that are put together to launch into space. It's not economically viable. And that's the bonus of what Elon Musk and SpaceX will bring to the table if they can get their flights to the point where it's only 10 to $30 per pound to orbit. That That is phenomenal, by the way. And they also have a lot of experience with their Falcon 9 rockets, which they are launching humans into space. Matter of fact, that was one of the things I was going to talk about. In just a couple of days after we record this, there is supposed to be another launch to the International Space Station using SpaceX's Dragon capsule and the Falcon 9 rocket. So that's going on right now. You have is, SN- that a cr- is that a crewed uh, launch or is that just a supply launch? That is a four-person crewed okay. launch. They're in quarantine right now and they have been for a while and then getting ready to go. And quarantine, I think, is is dual purpose right now with the pandemic and just normal quarantine as you go up into space. Simultaneously, SpaceX and Boca Chica has SN15 
on the pad, ready to go. Here's the problem with that. I said a couple of weeks ago, I've stayed away from it since I said this, but I said a couple of weeks ago that after the SN11 mishap or RUD or whatever you want to call it, I will call it an explosion above the earth, above the landing pad. There is a FAA safety investigation which was going to have to take place. Now, it's not necessarily the safety of the Starship system itself, but it's the safety of human life and property around the test area. And we saw debris of SN11 up to five miles away. At least that's what was reported. There might have been stuff that was even more. And we heard that there was damage to wildlife areas as well. These are things that the FAA are taking into consideration right now before they green light the next test. So in my opinion, and we've talked about this before, but in my opinion, SpaceX really has to show what they have on the books for safety and the FAA needs to approve that before they go on. So the rocket might be ready to go tomorrow or the next day, but unless the FAA approves the test flight, it is going to sit on the pad until the FAA does approve. Now, eventually, will the FAA approve it? Yes. But I don't know if they're going to mandate any safety changes to SpaceX in the process, and that could take longer as well. I know Elon's going to get really frustrated here, but he really doesn't have a leg to stand on because that thing did blow up above the Earth, not on the pad, not crashed into the ground. It blew up above the Earth. So there's a whole bunch of safety factors that need to be taken into account there. So that's another thing that I was going to say right now. SpaceX does have a lot going on. It has success with Falcon 9, but it has a starship that is questionable right now. And I just worry about human safety, primarily human safety, but then property and natural wildlife safety after that. Uh, the other thing that was really neat that happened that was going to happen this week, it was supposed to happen today. Does you guys remember that big honking aircraft, that straddle launcher, you know, yeah. the, the, the rock that was supposed to fly again today. They scrubbed the mm. flight due to weather, but I thought they were going to dismantle it. It is actually proceeding. They were going to fly it around again today. So I would expect to see that in the next week as well. Crazy. Well, let's go from one space topic that's related to landing to another, which is, I believe, a secret invasion. I think that that's all space related, right? That's your news point, Chris? Well, I mean, people are coming from space, so I guess we could say that. Uh, for those that aren't aware, Secret Invasion is upcoming Marvel Studios project will be coming to Disney+. And really interesting today, The Hollywood Reporter broke the news. They had the scoop that Oscar winner Olivia Coleman will be joining the MCU with a supporting role in the upcoming Secret Invasion television program. For those that aren't aware, Coleman, who was nominated for Best Supporting Actress this year for The Father, is who we're talking about here. Uh, some background on the Secret Invasion show, if you guys weren't aware. This show uses the events of the Captain Marvel movie as a jumping-off point and focuses on the ever-popular secret agent Nick Fury, played by Sam Jackson, and a shapeshifter from the alien race known as the Skrulls, where Ben Mendelsohn will be replacing, excuse me, reprising his role from the movie. We don't know a ton of the plot, of the Secret Invasion television show. The comics are out there, so you could probably glean some info out of that. And they have made a point of not saying what role Olivia Coleman will be playing. But she's a really, really good actor. And they've got another good actor signed up to join the MCU. And I just kind of enjoy the fact that this actor that's well-acclaimed, that got a lot of buzz around her right now from playing Queen Elizabeth in the last two seasons of The Crown, came and signed on to do an MCU movie. And I just like the fact that Marvel can throw these cool projects at all sorts of different talent and get people on board. And maybe it's just, I, I remember like in the early the nineties and the two thousands, kind of the stigma associated with comic book movies because they're all garbage and people would laugh like, ha ha ha. So, and so is going to do a comic book movie. It means their career is over. And now we've got these acclaimed actors, folks like Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Samuel Jackson, folks like that. They're like, I want to do a comic book movie because it's probably a bit fun for them. And it's probably a fairly decent paycheck if you get signed on to do a few movies too. So I'm really excited to see what role Olivia Coleman gets and what she gets to do in the MCU because she is a fantastic, fantastic, excuse me, actor. This is really interesting because um, it seems like there's a lot of stuff still in the pipeline and we've got this project being announced. So 
I feel like it's a little early for Ultimate PR um, as well. I don't feel that they've really picked up speed post big lull. Um, I think that they're still working on on trying to respark that fire. Uh, I, I do feel like w- w- they, they still have a, a bit to go before they get that big fanfare that they were having when they had multiple movies a year. And I think it'll be a little bit till they get there because they did drag their heels on on any form of release of new projects. So I'm really, really unsure why this broke today because I feel like it is going to get a little bit buried as they continue to try to, again, get back up to speed. Well, I mean, it's just a casting announcement. Let's also remember there's, what, four Marvel movies coming out this year still in addition to, like, four series on Disney+. Plus. So, so the pace is picking up and Secret Invasion should start having to do pre-production soon, I think. You brought up a lot of great points, Stephen, and I want to try to take them one by one. If I forget one, I'm sorry. But first of all, this you, you lull... can just go ahead and say I agree with everything you said, Stephen. That works. <laughs> that's that's usually what it comes down <laughs> to because you're the editor, right? But this <laughs> lull post Endgame reminds me a lot of the lull post Avengers, post Avengers, where you had Iron Man three and everybody was like really struggling with where is this franchise going? Because remember, Avengers came out and we're like, whoa, this is great. This series of movie led up to Avengers. We hadn't seen anything yet. And it's what we finally got into Endgame. I mean, that was like the start of everything. I, I guess you could say with Iron Man in 2008, that was the start of everything. But of, there was a similar lull that happened in Iron Man 3 was not the best movie either. And they're being able to move forward a little bit with these series on Disney Plus, which will take some of the sting out of the restart. It's not like a complete cold start. It's like a push start with the clutch and when your battery's dead, that sort of thing. So I, I think they're moving forward with that. Why this announcement came out now, this is the final week of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then they have like a five or six week break before Loki. So they want to take advantage of some of the hype that's going on with the ending of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If I was a, a betting man of what's going on here, then you're going to have Black Widow coming up pretty soon. And so you have stuff that's that's heading on here. The other thing that I will say of having these big actors that have won Oscars and they have a lot of acclaim, uh, just looking at her IMDb credit, she has 111 credits. So she's been very prolific in her career. They will never win another Oscar. I think the closest you got was with the whole Black Panther issue. I don't think the comic books movies are ever going to win Oscars for performance. So what they're signing up for is notoriety, maybe a tip of the hat because they are good actors. But I think you hit the nail on the head where it's a payday. These money, these movies make a lot of money. So if you're in there, you get to make a lot of money. So you have people like Samuel Jackson who are, are very good, but I, I'm wondering if you take a look at his earnings over his career, where the bulk of the money is coming from. And I will say a good chunk of that is coming Quentin from Tarantino. these <laughs> Well, that too. Sorry. I didn't mean to overspeak you there, it, but <laughs> snakes on a plane. That's what it yeah. is. Get these. Never mind. <laughs> and, you, and you said a lot of other great things there, Stephen, but uh, I forgot them all because I didn't write them down. So I'm not going to say you're right, but okay. <laughs> side, side note, Heath Ledger won an Academy Award for a comic book movie. Posthumously. So he would have wanted if he lived too. I think he was that good. I yeah, that's that's a 50-50. He would have been a final contender there, but I don't know if he would have sure, for sure won that. The Suicide Squad won one for makeup. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did say for performance. I qualified what I was saying. Doesn't matter. I still got the jab in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to not argue argue that this time, but uh, <laughs> come over to our Discord server if you want to talk a little bit more about it, because I, I might lean more on SP side of thing. Uh, that's going mean, to geek.com slash Discord. I tend to agree with SP that for the most part, you're probably not going to win an Academy Award for a comic book movie unless it's something that's like incredibly different and genre breaking and world defining. So, yes, that's true, but I don't think it necessarily precludes them from winning any future other projects. So I think a lot of it is, hey, my kids might like to see me do these kind of things as part of it for some of these folks and big paydays. 
I mean, I, I will throw the qualifier out there of Black Panther. I think that performances and the movie itself deserved all the acclaim that it either was nominated for or it, it won. That That's kind of a separate issue. That That's kind of like the marquee Marvel movie out of over 20 of them, right? Yeah. But I, I just don't think any of, including Endgame and uh, Infinity War, yeah, great movies, great lead up, great world building. Yeah, I get all that. But the individual movies were not uh, award way. Like, you wouldn't give Robert Downey Jr. an Academy Award for his performance in Endgame. Well, no, it's an ensemble cast. That'd be tough to yeah. do to say because you don't know who the leading actor. And remember, the Academy kind of looks disdainfully upon comic book movies. There are a bunch of people right. who are legitimately upset in the Hollywood world because Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture. Like, ugh, a comic book movie. How gross. And I'm like, so? The the stuff that wins half the time I look at and go, what the hell is this movie? Why would I want to watch it? <laughs> well, let's go on to our last news point here, which is just just a quick nod, just a quick highlight that these things are in the works. And it's the fact that there are starting to be Clubhouse spinoffs. Well, not spinoffs, competition, basically. Don't know if you know about this, but Clubhouse is an emerging app, very popular right now, on the iOS side of things. Something about audio conversations. I don't own an iDevice. I know it seems like all sorts of people are using it now and it's really popular. Everything I've heard doesn't make it sound that original to, to me, but maybe one of you two can tell me exactly what's so unique about it, just being audio, like joining a room and having an audio conversation. Is, is that what it is? Basically, so you have a select number of people that are allowed to speak. And honestly, I don't know if that's limited or not. And they just get to talk. It's like a classroom would be the best analogy that I could make where you have a speaker who creates the room and then whoever they, they want to let in to the room are, are speaking as well. And then people can listen to it like they, they like a seminar or a convention, whatever. They come in and sit in the room. So they open up the room. They listen to what's going on. You can raise your hand to try to speak. I think. For the majority, there was this was a flash in the pan for a while, but I think it's really turned into a bunch of 30, 20s and 30s guys just talking about monetization and business and, and that sort of thing right now. I know there's more going on, but that's the, the level that I put into this. So I really question about the, the future of either Clubhouse or knockoffs uh, post pandemic. So basically, they're, they're, basically, it's WebEx, but for person, for personal use. Is that what it is? Maybe. My understanding of it is you had to have registered to be given an invite to be a person of some kind of note to basically be able to host one of these clubhouse talks and be able to go on camera and things like that. So like, there was a bunch of people who are really geeking out because Elon Musk did a clubhouse conversation at one point in time. Yeah, and, there's no camera. It's audio. Okay, only. Sorry. So they were real excited that a bunch of celebrities and folks that are big in industry were doing clubhouse conversations and it was seen as a, a real interesting way to get one-on-one -on -one interaction with these folks. And that might've been what it was at first. And then it devolved into, let me tell you my conspiracy theory on Dogecoin and why it's going to the moon. And I, I'm taking a cheap shot there, but I mean, in a bunch of other stuff, like, let me tell you about my mainline marketing thing that I'm doing. So you can be part of my pyramid scheme kind of bull crap. It's okay. devolved into just people going and Preaching internet craziness, it seems like to me. And I haven't followed it a ton because I never downloaded the app for my iPad. I didn't care a ton. I, I think the boat, the wave has passed already on this one. Okay. The craze is gone. So so here's the thing. So that's what Clubhouse is. And, I, and again, I, I don't pretend to know because for some reason it was excluded to iOS only. So you've excluded a bunch of the population mm -hmm. out there. Yep. So, so that is a thing. And what I know about the thing is that it ballooned. And maybe that balloon is popped, according to Chris. But that's not the news point. The news point is that apparently people are still interested in this on some level because Reddit and Facebook both announced that they're coming out with Clubhouse-like services. Reddit has offered a preview of its new audio conference service that is uh, very similar to Clubhouse. And quote, only mods can start talks during early tests, but they can invite trusted speakers to co-host a talk. And then Mark Zuckerberg has said on Monday that the company plans to launch several audio products, 
including clubhouse style live audio rooms. So sounds like people are are trying to take this idea and use it. Uh, but again, I know nothing about it. And according to Chris, that ship has sailed. Well, just want to point out that you miss one. Twitter Spaces is out there too. Is a clubhouse knockoff. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. From from a Reddit point of view, here's where I think this could be interesting. Is a lot of people get excited when subreddits or the AMA subreddit host an ask me anything thing with a celebrity or someone in industry, things like that, where they can ask all sorts of interesting questions. I could see a moderated Reddit version of Clubhouse being really interesting for AMAs because you don't necessarily have to have the person in question having to type everything. It makes for some interesting one-on-one where a person asks a question, they reply back. That could be kind of cool. And it also would then sort of tie into, you mentioned only moderators could do it at this point, being controlled so it's an approved topic that goes through a subreddit's controls. That could be neat, but I don't know that it's necessarily something a bunch of people are going to be like, oh my God, I have to do this. Because the nice thing about an AMA is you can post a question, come back six hours later and find where your question is easily enough, see if anyone replied to it, and then skim through the rest of it versus listening to an audio feed for 90 minutes, try and figure out what goes on. What would be the difference between that and just a normal stream on YouTube or Twitch? Nothing really. It's more that it's just built into the platform. So in theory, you could have some interesting hooks in there. Like if you could set it up so that like questions asked in say the subreddit, and whenever you bring that question up and put a reply below with like the timestamp of where it is and that, that could be kind of cool. I don't know what their plans are with it. You could do interesting things with it, maybe. <laughs> I think there there is a potential appeal to having a, a service that has the streaming and the ability to try to join or or you know hands up or whatever. Like let's go way back. There was a service called Blab that allowed that to happen. And that was, uh, for the record, I did not bring up Blab. <laughs> and it was a video service that again was kind of similar, but with video where people, you would have a, a select group of people and then you could let them come, other people come and go. And part of the appeal to that was the fact that people could just randomly, randomly stumble across your lab. And so I guess it's, it's kind of similar. I don't know. It would be similar from the aspect of anybody from the audience could join into the call. Yeah. If I remember Blab correctly. So to be kind of like that, yeah. Uh, there was a limited number of people. I, I'm trying to remember if they went up to six. I know it was four. It was four. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I If you get beyond four people on audio only, it gets a little bit muddled anyway from a broadcast standpoint. So from a listener, you're, you're listening to four people over talk each other and, and <laughs> it just gets worse from there sort of thing. So I, I've listened to a couple of them, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There are some very professional ones. There's there's some that have people that are being courteous and they're really talking intently and seriously about whatever topic that they're talking about. So I'm not going to say this whole thing is useless. I just don't think it's going to get a wide adaptation, especially since now you have diluted the market between so many different things. Reddit, Facebook, Twitter. I bet you there's another half a dozen of the ones that are in the process right now. And one of the downfalls of Blab was the whole video over the WebRTC thing and how Blab just crunched and was crippled underneath the weight of so many simultaneous Blabs going on. The benefit of this is it's audio only. So it's definitely not as Mm -hmm. much streaming data that's going back and forth or being crunched over the servers. So there is a benefit from that aspect, but I I don't know if it'll get adaptation or not. There was another service out there still is called Voxer and Voxer is a chat room where you can go back and forth with snippets of video that's limited in time. And some people use that quite frequently. It's like a walkie talkie uh, chat room, but honestly that fad has passed too for the majority of adaptation. I think that's a great example on very small niches. Like it basically surviving with very small niches and beyond that mainstream popularity just makes it go away. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what comes of these. I tend to think that if you are getting big players in here like Facebook or Reddit, 
I think Clubhouse could be the loser. <laughs> That's fair. And if you want some interesting opinions on Clubhouse, Cody Goff, who's been on the show many times, at Producer Cody on Twitter, has talked about it a few different times on Twitter and things that he thought was problematic with that platform and some other platforms that he thought were better for that kind of engagement and things like that. So go either tweet him and ask about it or just go through his timeline where he's talked about some of what he thought were the pitfalls of Clubhouse when he was investigating it and participating in things on there. But that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, I'd like to just give everybody a moment here to plug and promote and do whatever you would like. And then I'll edit it out in editing. Go ahead, Chris Harrell. So friendly reminder, there's a lot of live content you can catch over here at geeks.live. If you're watching the show as we record this right now, scroll down to the bottom of the page a little bit. You'll see a calendar of all of the upcoming live events. Please come on in, check out some other content and tell them that we sent you in the chat room. SP. I'm going to promote our Discord server, which you can find at guineageek.com slash Discord. You know, I just rattle off a bunch of space stuff that was happening, and I've been trying to limit the amount of coverage that I do here on the podcast. I want to talk about everything every week, but there is a lot going on. If you don't want to miss what's going on, odds are I will post a link to whatever is going on in the outer space channel in the Discord server throughout the week as things progress. So if if you're just interested in space stuff, you can come into the Discord server and, and we can talk space stuff. I would love that very much. And then all of the other Gonna Geek shows and network topics are there for you to consume as well. So for episode 373 of the official Gonna Geek show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying, and the Academy Award for the best costume design goes to the person that developed the Team Canada Olympic wear. I'm SP saying, I wish I would get that paycheck. We'll see everybody next week. Bye. I'm Chris and I'm making a knockoff app called Funhouse. I need to go dig out my denim jean jacket now, apparently. Bye. Canadian tuxedo. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.